Welcome to Lead with Kindness, our podcast where we talk about teaching, fostering, and modeling kindness as a leader and also as a team member in a workplace situation, any group of humans where you're trying to get to a shared goal together. Today, I'm so pleased to have a couple of former colleagues, one from Tom Swift, DJ Barton, who is a script supervisor, and one from Nancy Drew, Rory Teo, who is a stunt coordinator. Currently, she is the stunt coordinator for NBC's The Irrational. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you both to explain to the audience exactly what your job entails. Most people might intuit what stunt coordinator is, so we'll start with DJ and script supervisor. (laughs) Basically, I'm in charge of continuity and liaison between the director and the editors. So I take all the notes on every take and every setup. I break down the scripts to say how long they're actually running, break them down for timings as far as how long each scene is going to take and the direction that they would all go in with that. I explain to the director if they're missing something or if a high lines are off. Um, and then I give actors their lines if they need them mm-hmm. or they miss them along the way. Right. And then in terms of like what you're doing every day on set, DJ, what does it look like to be you? <laughs> I'm there pretty early before set starts to set up all of my paperwork because my job is very paperwork driven. I take all the notes. So I get all of that set. I send the reports to the studios, to the production office on when the first shot was, when lunch is, what we've accomplished, what we still have to do, how much page count is done, and how much we still owe. So all of that is happening at the same time. And then working with every department head to maintain their continuity on their particular department. Right. And just to get granular for the audience, continuity meaning like if she picked up her pen with her left hand in the first take, we need to make sure she still picks it up with her left hand in the second take. We can't have her swap it Absolutely. back and forth. And, yeah. you know, if it's eating or drinking or placement of props and how they're handling the props, all of that happens with continuity. Sure. Like, is an actor's collar up or down when the fight sequence starts? You know, it's just like little things yeah. like that can ruin a take and we can't use it because it won't match everything else. Mm-hmm. And also, when you say paperwork, I can tell the audience, it actually looks like people with iPads and laptops and multiple little windows open and a live stream from the set and a little thing that they're yeah. recording and screenshots that they're grabbing. And all of it goes into this vast document that the editors <laughs> then parse through and can say, oh, on such and such a take in this camera angle, the third one was the one the director liked because he got the line right, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. So it's like incredible. Or you can't use it because now in this take the actor is not holding what they should be holding. Exactly. And the yeah. text before. Yeah, it's, it's like minutia, but it's crucial. And, um, and yeah. at the same time, you're there from the moment the camera starts rolling, really like long before them, but until everybody wraps up for the day. And so you're seeing every single thing that goes on on set. So we'll come back to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Rorley, can you tell us about your job? Yeah, I mean, as a stunt coordinator, our primary function is the safety of performers on set. But it's also a creative position, and we're also educators. We work together with the director and DP to design action sequences based on what's been scripted. We teach actors fight sequences, recruit stunt doubles, stunt performers, or stunt riggers, and possibly first aid personnel, depending on the stunt through production. We work closely with the AD team to schedule rehearsals before this place on set. And with that comes a whole slew of paperwork, too. Right. For sure. Yeah. And it's wonderfully analog. The first time I saw a stunt rigging like on Vampire Diaries, it was just like some guys with a pulley, you know, two guys pulling up one guy really fast, 
<laughs> but it looked great, you know, like suddenly he's soaring into the air because a vampire threw him, you know? Uh, at any rate, so all of that takes time and money. So let's talk about the time first. So like, what are your hours on a typical day on set? And, you know, and then can you also speak to some of the other departments like transportation and, and all the, you know, people who are there for hours and hours and hours and hours to get a couple of minutes of footage? The hours and hours, I mean, it's calmed down somewhat in the past few years with union regulations. But there were times when we would work 16 to 21 hours a day Yikes. on set. And that was just the crew. Mm-hmm. So you have Transpo who's there hours before we are, especially around location, mm-hmm. getting all of the stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then they're there hours after the crew is gone. Right. So it, it's crazy amounts of time and crazy amount of hours that everyone has to work and then actors along with it and then stunt people if you've got to do stunts all day long. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I've been on sets where, you know, you're you're filming a, stunts, uh, a crash sequence or a stunt sequence and you don't get a shot off before lunch. Right. Because lunch all the rehearsing being... and all the time yeah. that goes into setting up the shots mm-hmm. to get them because you're only going to be able to do it once or twice. Right. Lunch being six hours into the workday. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's just a lot of those, it's a lot of hours and a lot of time fatigue mm-hmm. on crew and actors and performers and stunt people. Right. Cause a lot of folks then have to commute an hour to get back home, yeah. you know, at the end of this day, cause they can't mm-hmm. live right in the city cause it's too expensive or, you know, they yeah. want their kids to go to a, a better school or, or, you know, whatever reasons they're commuting and commuting on both ends of this incredibly long day. And I'll come back to this idea too, that everybody loves what they do so much that they can't help but give a thousand percent, generally speaking, you know, like I can tell when people are working that they just are so into it that they want to go above and beyond. These things cost money also. And everybody's paid an hourly wage. People are paid time and a half. If they go overtime, there are costs involved with every single thing that we've described. And now I'm going to talk about what happens when people are so budget crunched or so fearful of, you know, going over budget or so intent on proving that they can do things for cheap that accidents happen and people get hurt. So this is a really unfortunate topic, but I think it's worth highlighting. And more recently, there was the cinematographer Helena Hutchins, who was killed on the set of Rust. The incident's been publicized pretty well, but Alec Baldwin had a gun that was supposed to be loaded with blanks. He pulled out the gun. The gun went off. A bullet, a real bullet, hit Helena, and she died. So how does something like that happen? I think a lot of things had to have gone wrong. There were steps that were missed when the gun came to set. There's a bunch of crucial things that were overlooked. The armorer wasn't there. There's just a lot that went wrong in that situation. A separate question. How could we change the culture? This is a really big question. How can we change the culture so that people aren't prioritizing money over safety? Yeah, I think that's a difficult one because studios are all about making their money, mm-hmm. where crews are usually about making art and, and giving a thousand percent, like you said. Mm-hmm. So it's different when it comes to set. And just going by hearsay of everything that I heard about the rest situation, the young lady who was the armor was a props person mm-hmm. and not an armor. And they promoted her to that. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the camera crew walked out. Right. Because there have been problems before then with mm-hmm. weapons. Right. And they refused to work, mm-hmm. just kept trying to go. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a shame with that. It's a shame with Sarah, Sarah Jones, who Mm -hmm. died several years ago in an accident from a production, who didn't have the right to be in the location, hadn't got the permissions to be there. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. they were all, the crew was all told that they were allowed to be there. Mm -hmm. 
And then a train came along and there was an accident and Sarah lost her life. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on, not on that set, mm-hmm. but being filming that day in the mm-hmm. same town as Sarah. Really? Mm. All of our phones are blowing up. Mm. Is everybody okay on your set? You know, are you guys okay? Um, we heard somebody's got injured somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're just kind of freezing because you're like, what and who and when? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, you do get pushed. But I think we're coming to a point now, at least I think so, that if a crew doesn't feel safe, they'll stop a lot of times. Right. Well, that's good. But it becomes threatening to the crew. Right. A lot of times through the studio that if, you know, if you're not going to do it, we can't stop. Mm-hmm. I've worked when a big snowstorm happened in Atlanta, Georgia. And, mm-hmm. you know, Atlanta's the South. They don't know how to prepare for <laughs> snow. Yes. The director was like, if you don't feel safe, <gasps> go home. Mm-hmm. So three quarters of the crew went home. Oh, well, that's good. But the director stayed. So I stayed. Oh, geez. And some of the crew stayed. But I, my mother's from Boston. My father's from New York. So right. I grew up driving in snow then. So... I didn't feel endangered. If I had, I would have gone. But mm-hmm. but the producer director came in who had been on a scout location and he literally went off screaming on set about the crew that left. <gasps> really? And I was very surprised. Like I had worked with this gentleman for years and was like, hmm. wow, I think I just saw your true colors for the first time. So Eek. I thought that was kind of scary. That's upsetting. Hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it didn't go anywhere beyond that. And the crew didn't, face negativity for leaving for those mm-hmm. who felt like they mm-hmm. weren't going to be able to drive correctly. Right. But just seeing that particular producer director who wasn't directing that episode mm-hmm. go off like that was just really kind of a step back. That's upsetting. I'm going to come back to that one. But Roar, you know, on this question of like people speaking up when they don't feel safe, like, have you seen that happen? Has it changed in the stunt world? I think it has changed in the stunt world. I just feel like people have uh, more respect for each other. I mean, first and foremost, we're human beings, so we should be treated as such before being the tough person that will fall down repeatedly. So luckily, there's a lot of choice right now as to where to work. I mean, maybe not right now, but in the years Mm. past, it's been so busy in town, busy in the world. Um, you can really pick and choose who you work for because there you just find those people that you kind of gravitate towards because mm-hmm. they work like you or or you admire how they work. So mm-hmm. yeah, there, you you kind of have a voice in those situations when you're picky about where you go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's good to know. I mean. We've always said to to folks on Nancy Drew and Tom Swift that if they didn't feel safe, they should speak up. But I think that our sets felt safe. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, please. But no, absolutely, I felt okay. safe on Tom Swift every time. Oh, good. And um, I felt safe on Nancy Drew all the time. I always thought that the crew's welfare was really well looked after. I remember weather cancellations that did oh, happen, yeah. and the crew was really thankful that you know we pulled the plug and everyone mm-hmm. got home safely before mm-hmm. weather conditions got worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not inconsequential if you call it for weather because there are you know. Insurance is costly and overages. Maybe you have to get the location again. All sorts of things happen when you do that. But it is the right thing to do. You know, you just kind of bite the bullet and do what you have to do on the other side of it. But going back to this producer-director who screamed because the crew had left, I'm really disappointed in this person. But I want to kind of drill down about why that happens on set. Because I've seen that happen too. You know, people lose their cool. I have a whole other episode about calm, but people lose their cool. And I think it's because they feel like the weight of the world is on their shoulders and can't everybody just fall in line and do this thing and make the production look good, but also make the person look good, but not get anybody into trouble about 
money that got spent or footage that we didn't acquire. And I think people get tunnel vision, I guess, is what I'm getting at, you know? And I, I wonder what suggestions you have after so many years in the trenches, DJ and Roar, about how to prevent people from getting that kind of tunnel vision or how to kind of stop them in the moment and say, is there another perspective on this that wouldn't involve you screaming at the crew, you know, or like would adjust your lens on this situation? I mean, I think there are. I think there's, if someone can remind that particular person that all of these people are here trying to make the best product they can, Mm -hmm. trying to do their best uh, and remember that it comes down to safety. Yeah, it's a money thing. But as you said, especially with the weather situation or something like that, it's kind of insured. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lot of paperwork. And yes, it's a lot of hassle to bring the crew, the stunt people, the cast, because you may only, you have day players that are mm -hmm. only contracted for a certain amount of days. Right. Or if it's a stunt situation or... I mean, we were filming on a blue screen, so, you know, it's all visual effects for that particular day mm -hmm. with a guy who's floating in space. <laughs> but it's just one of those situations you have to, you know, kind of see if they can, somebody can. I don't feel that it was my situation because I'm not, yes, I'm in production, but I'm not in charge of the production, so it would have been weird for me to go, oh, hello. Um, mm -hmm. But I did say to the director, you know, just the facial expression, and she was like, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, gosh, okay. yes. I've seen those um, facial expressions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, if there is another person, whether it be an AD or a line producer or mm -hmm. someone that can go, we need to think about all these other people. Mm -hmm. Yes, money's important and we need to make the time and we need to make the, the budget, but we need to step back mm -hmm. a larger picture. Yeah. I mean, the AD is supposed to, you know, and most AD, every AD I've worked with has been terrific in terms of safety. Yeah. But yeah. technically, that's part of their job is to keep everybody mm -hmm. safe. And they should be the one to say to even the producing director, I don't know what the polite AD way of saying you're out of line is, but I'm sure there's a way, you know, or at least if there were an agreement from the very beginning of the production, when people get brought on to the crew, it would have to come from the showrunner and the studio and the line producer. But from the very top to say, if something like this happens, the AD is empowered to say to anybody on set, this is what we're doing. and everybody's staying safe, no questions asked. You know, I think that their authority should be really supported in that situation. I'm just thinking aloud here, but I know it's not always like that. Or have you seen people lose their cool when a safety thing was being, you know, like, we're going to do this the safe way or we're not going to do the thing that seems a little bit risky and then somebody gets yelled at for that? I have, but, you know, um, things go a long way with a good conversation. I mean, you can always ask someone, hey, like, are you okay? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And that opens up the dialogue mm -hmm. for, for discussion. And I know sometimes timing is everything and we're in a time crunch and that's when people get really frazzled. Mm -hmm. But as a stunt coordinator, you really have to put your foot down in these situations to make sure that nobody gets hurt. And mm -hmm. I, as an AD, it'd be the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I think like what you said, really like from the top, if people are encouraged to speak when something is unsafe, mm -hmm. then the crew feels empowered to, to also bring those up to the AD, like situations like that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, it would make sense to have some checks and balances just in case the AD is having a bad day, which happens, you know, mm -hmm. um, there should be... I, Again, just brainstorming at least a couple of other people, whether they're shop stewards, you know, from their union departments or just people who are designated on the set to say, like, I think the AD has, like, lost sight of what's going on here. Like, I'm going to be the person who talks to the AD who to then talk to the, you know, whoever. I don't know. Just it would be good to have these sort of structures. I don't think that there's anything formalized like that on set that I can think of. 
I mean, shop stewards are there, but I have—I never heard from a shop steward. Maybe they were afraid to talk to me. Unfortunately, I don't know. You know. I mean, we usually we have unit managers too on set, and I think it's really about like the crew looking out for one another, right? Mm-hmm. Keeping each other sane and and checking in with each other when things mm-hmm. aren't going right. Yeah, that's true, and that would be another thing to promulgate from the top, which is like, you know, crew members, you individually, please look out for each other. Please speak up for each other. If you feel like somebody's, I've seen a lot of people just trying to like tough it out. And it's really important that people are reminded that maybe today is not the day to be a hero, you know, or, or maybe it's really just, just not necessary to be a hero in this situation. Like take a break, get an ice pack, whatever it is, you know. Okay. So Pivoting just a little bit to a different kind of safety, this is one that's a little more applicable to workplace situations, which most of what we've talked about on this podcast have been about. But this is an overlap between being on set and being in an office. Emotional well-being and mental health well-being, psychological well-being. What are things that you've seen go wrong on set in those departments? Let's just start there. DJ, you go first. I've seen people push themselves, whether Mm. they've been overly tired, whether production is just going crazy and you're working really hard. But it's it's always one of those just relax and breathe situations. And I've said it to people, we're here to make a product and we're here to do it good, but we're also here to do it safely. Because when you're working those kind of hours and you're, you're in stressful situations, because the business is hurry up and wait. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're rushing, 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 and then you're waiting for whatever department happens to be the one thing you're waiting for, Mm -hmm. whether it's rigging or lights or actors or somebody's getting dressed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they've changed, you know, I mean, so it's, it's all of those, but you just have to say breathe sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we all have to remember that we're all there for each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what keeps all of us as crew members going because it becomes Mm -hmm. more like family than it does just, yeah, you're all there to support each other and you're all there to make it through safely. And Mm -hmm. Tom Swift, that's one of the things I loved about Tom Swift Mm -hmm. is that that was announced to crew every Uh day. If something doesn't seem safe, say something. Uh We don't care who you are on the crew. Mention Mm -hmm. it to somebody, whether Mm -hmm. it's a weird wire laying around or something Mm -hmm. that could be a trip hazard or Mm -hmm. anything. We were Mm -hmm. all empowered to say something to someone, to bring it to someone's attention. And then go from there. That's awesome to hear. I'm glad. Worley, what have you seen on set that was, you know, this kind of intangible lack of safety? Yeah, when people are tired, going from days to night and then working on location and like tough temperatures, it can be quite challenging in the crew. Also, if the head of department is not approachable, then that can be a problem because mm-hmm. that line of communication isn't there for the crew members to bring something up. I think that heads of departments are quite responsible for bringing it up to the production team. And from there, dangerous situations can get addressed. Right. I will say that I have heard reports sometimes of bullying. And there was an instance where I benched the person who I realized was a bully. And I was only belatedly kind of alerted to this because everybody was trying to not upset me, I guess, you know. And I, I think folks were thinking, well, we can handle it internally. And then it just kind of kept going and got out of hand. So what I will say for myself that I did after I benched this person was I got on the walkie and said to the crew, this is what happened. And I am sorry that I didn't know about it before. And as soon as I found out, this is what I did about it. And I want to acknowledge that this was the impact on you and it wasn't right. And I think that 
went a long way because people came up to me afterwards and appreciated not only that the person had been removed from set, but that I had acknowledged that, you know, it had taken us a little too long to do it and that the thing had happened. I find this so often that people don't like to acknowledge that something goes wrong. You know, they may even fix it, but they'll kind of like pretend it didn't happen now that it's gone, you know? Like, I think it's very important to acknowledge that something went wrong, to openly say, this was a mistake. This is how we course corrected. But that's my two cents on that particular thing. Let's talk for a minute about things we can do better for the industry. One hypothetical thing, kind of like if you could wave a magic wand and say to people in charge, not necessarily even studios. Studios get a bad rap sometimes. I've worked with terrific studios, and all of them have been very concerned with safety and incredibly supportive of the Sarah Jones Film Foundation from Warner Brothers, which I'll talk about in a second. But I do find that indie productions are a little more apt to bend the rules or stretch things or cut corners or take risks. If you could wave a wand, let's say for indie productions, how would you try to improve safety conditions for crew members there? Well, I think providing a safe place for crew to report unsafe practices with no recourse for Mm -hmm. doing so is a Mm -hmm. good start. Right. When it comes to the things that indie crews want to achieve on a shoestring budget, I think They have to set their expectations as to what's achievable with their budget. Do we spend the money on hiring the experienced person so that Mm. they can think of ways to make this scene happen? Or do we just kind of make this really actor friendly so Mm -hmm. that no one is in danger? I think those are steps towards making that safe set, like making that set more safe. Right. Yeah. DJ, what do you think? I agree. I think that, you know, empowering the crew to be able to say we don't feel safe and without recourse um, Mm -hmm. and and going Mm -hmm. from there. And also hiring the people that have enough experience, at least towards the top, to say that I don't see how this is logistically possible (laughs) in our time allotted. Mm -hmm. Because I know ADs who are making schedules who I've seen on Indies go, this isn't logistically possible. And they're just, oh, yeah, we got it. You know, they're just kind of dismissed or Mm. it's pushed aside. Mm-hmm. So it, it is interesting to see because people do try to make them safe. Yeah. They just always are, as you might have said, bullied right. into letting them go. Yeah, I think that, you know, some of what I, this is my assessment of situations like Rust and Midnight Rider where Sarah Jones was killed, that the ego of the people in charge, you know, the director, the producers, combination of like, a, we want to save money, but really it's ego. Like we want to make this awesome movie for no money and be recognized and applauded. Like that desire for validation is a thing that is getting people killed. And I don't know, I feel like that's a bigger problem. Maybe that's a different podcast episode. But that, you know, if people could find other ways to feel good about themselves that didn't involve exploiting the human beings in their orbit, that would be so awesome. But that's beyond the scope of this particular episode. But let's see. I also wanted to touch briefly on kind of like a shout out to studios who do do extra things like COVID protocols during the pandemic. CBS was incredibly rigorous in a great way about keeping people safe during the pandemic. And then also a lot of sets I now see have intimacy coordinators. And I think that's helpful. It's kind of like sometimes the actor's like, oh, I really don't need this. It's just a kiss, you know. But this is a little bit of a sidebar, but some people may not know about what the intimacy coordinator is. DJ, do you want to talk about that? And also, Roar, because I'm sure you've both interacted with them. Intimacy coordinators are great because they, they're there to make sure that the actors or the people performing feel comfortable in everything that's happening in the scene. What is the actor comfortable showing if it's a nudity situation? What are they comfortable doing? How far undressed are they? And I worked on shows where we had uh, Doom Patrol. We had Sex Ghost. 
who literally were on rigs flying in the air, doing sexual movements and, and being intimate with each other while being suspended. And, you know, because it was stunt performers also. So like literally the intimacy coordinator was like, well, when you hire these people, can we hire real couples? Oh. Whether they're, mm-hmm. you know, same-sex couples or real couples who are together because they're not talking. So they're not a lead actor that's going to be used. Mm-hmm. So it's more, you know, let these people know each other before they show up and get harnessed and have to pretend to have sex. And I thought that was really great of an intimacy coordinator to do that. Mm-hmm. And they did hire real couples. That's awesome. And then in the same show, you know, we had, it was supposed to be the 70s in an orgy where an actress literally drops her covering and walks out naked as she changes personalities. It's a sci-fi show. What can we say? But that was, again, the intimacy coordinator going around to not only the lead actress and her actors they are playing with her in the scene, but also all of the background people because it's mm-hmm. a 1970s orgy mm-hmm. situation. Right. So you've got all these people pretending, simulating sexual activity in an orgy. So make sure everyone is comfortable. And I think it's such an important thing because mm-hmm. even when actors say, oh, I don't really need it. Mm-hmm. I was on a show where an actress had to do a sex scene with an actor that she had never met before. Mm. And they literally scheduled that scene first. Oh, jeez. That was the first scene that they were going to do together. And I was like, oh my gosh. that seems weird. Oh, no. <laughs> was it necessary to schedule that scene first? <laughs> But it's, you know, but they're great with it. They're oftentimes standing next to me at Pity Village watching the monitors while we're doing the scene or doing the take mm-hmm. and then going from there. And it's a great communication flow to make sure that everyone stays as comfortable as possible mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. doing these things that are very uncomfortable. What are your 50 crew members watching? Sure, I know. And we try to limit the, you know, but even like just down to the essentials, it's still quite a crowd. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Even down to the essentials, it's, just, it's a big crowd. So. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, so mm-hmm. even when they clear sets, it's yeah. just the people that have to be there is mm-hmm. a decent amount of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Roar, have you worked with an intimacy coordinator? I have, yeah. It's definitely one of the newer departments that have changed things for the better. You know, they've extended mm-hmm. more protection to performers in vulnerable roles. They're really great at obtaining consent before the performers mm-hmm. even get on set, which is really important. Mm-hmm. When they are on set, they're given the time to kind of talk to the actors, work out the scene with the director there, close mm-hmm. blocking. After that, I've seen them double check with where the monitors are going to be, how many monitors will be showing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make sure that these performers get the privacy that they need. A lot of intimacy coordinators are former stunt performers. Oh, really? Yeah, four of the ones that I know huh. were actually stunt performers. I think it's like that in the States, um, not quite like that in Vancouver. It's quite new. We mm-hmm. have some from the medical professional. We also have ex, like maybe dancers, so they Mm. understand how it is to be on set, what angles look like, and how to Mm -hmm. stack things. Mm. Yeah, it's from a varied background. That's interesting. I mean, the medical thing doesn't surprise me because during the pandemic, we were also thinking more about intimacy coordinators because we had to do such testing and make sure that people are physically safe in terms of, you know, just like the close contact. So that was one thing. And then I just want to add that as far as other things we can do to improve safety on set going forward, the Sarah Jones Film Foundation has several initiatives. We have an annual field day in Atlanta where we gather crew members and their families and celebrate the life of Sarah Jones and also 
raise awareness for set safety. We have an initiative to call the first shot of the day the Jonesy. In the same way that the last shot of the day is called the Martini, we want folks to acknowledge Sarah Jones and her death and remember that safety on set is paramount by calling the first shot of the day the Jonesy shot. We also have something called the Sarah Jones Opportunity. It's a camera trainee program that does not displace any union jobs but gives a way for people to come into that field who might not have had an entry point before. And also there is something called the Safety Grant, which we offer through safetyforsarah.org, or you can just message me at the Instagram handle at leadwkindness for information on how to apply for this very easy $2,500 grant that is allowed for students who are at school at a 501c3 nonprofit organization educational system. And what you can do is get a grant for set safety-related purposes like walkie-talkies or a safety vest or a stunt coordinator or a real medic or permits, very important, so that we change the culture from the grassroots level, from the student level going up, where you realize it's not a luxury that you have to wait until a studio pays for it. It's essential, as essential as the camera and the costume and the script. Safety is essential. On that note, thank you so much for coming in. I'm really glad we were able to talk about safety today, which is a subject near and dear to my heart and so important. Thank you. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you for joining us for Lead with Kindness. I really hope you come back next week for our season one finale episode, where I'll be talking with powerhouse agent Anne Blanchard of CAA and actress and social justice warrior Rachel Caldwell on the topic of service and mentorship and how both are crucial to the health of individuals and teams, and also how they're an amazing way to foster new voices for the future of Hollywood. 